bowlers. Up, bowlers. Are you looking to gain mental focus over your competition? Do you ever need that extra burst of all natural energy during league play? MindFrame is the first all natural supplement packed with vitamins and all natural ingredients to keep bowlers at the top of their game. Supports muscle recovery and joint support for the day after that long tournament. You cannot continue to neglect your most important tool, your body, if you want to win. Experience the striking power of MindFrame. Visit s3direct.com. That's s3direct.com. Above180.com, taking your bowling game to the next level. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews and coaching to drilling layouts. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowlers Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. We are pleased to be joined today by PBA Tour member Brad Angelo. Brad has one career title, which came back in the 2008-2009 season. He has four runner-up finishes and 46 top 10 finishes and does own a PBA regional title. Brad is on the Brunswick staff and was a PBA Rookie of the Year back in the 2002-2003 season. Joe Serrar here and uh, our special guest, Brad Angelo. We're going to start with an opening question, Brad, about your coaching clinics. Uh, we've been fortunate enough on the show to have uh, excellent coaches such as Deandra S. Beatty. Uh, we've had Del Warren on the show. Uh, we're going to have Lou Marquez. Uh, you've done clinics for quite a while now, and, and I've heard nothing but great things about them. Do you want to kind of expound on uh, your role in your clinics? Well, sure. And, you know, the people that have been to the, to the clinics that, that I've done, you know, they've been really really nice and how they've helped promote those camps around the country. Um, but, you know, really, I started, you know, doing one-on-one lessons probably 15 years ago. And then when I made it out to the tour, um, and then after my Rookie of the Year season, I started trying to formulate some bowling camps. And, you know, I, I, I put together a good program. Uh, the first day of the camp was about what happens before the foul line. And then the second day of the camp was about what happens after you let the ball go. So I tried to break it down that way. But it wasn't until about 2006, 2007, uh, when I really started understanding and and working very closely with Rick Benoit, um, who was our Brunswick tour rep out out on tour. I'm telling you what, the man is a genius. And some of the things that he has came up with, just off of, uh, uh, you know, the dimensions of the lane and, and, and how much really does the ball hook and uh, uh, different ways to read ball motion, you know, things like that. So I started incorporating those more and more into the camps that I've done. And it, it's really been a great addition to, to what I do. So, you know, I don't know if that really answers your question or not, but... Um, At the end of the day, there's a lot of things that that I go over at the camps or that I've implemented at the camp that are not things that I had seen anywhere else up until about four years ago. Well, you know, one thing I've seen, Brad, with your clinics, and and I've had privy just to watch bits and pieces of it, is you like to mock up an entire lane, but not in, actually to full scale, 60-foot lane, and show ball motion in that respect. And I've never seen that in any other coaching clinic I've attended. 
uh, you know, they basically focus on the approach, your swing, your balance, your release, and all things that are important physically. But you bring a different dimension with that full-scale lane, and, and you place balls on the lane and, and show, uh, you know, the, the person how true ball motion occurs. And was that your idea or Rick's? Uh, well, it, it, it was kind of a joint effort. Um, the first time I had ever seen, and I'm being serious, the first time I had ever seen the lane to scale, it wasn't full scale. I was sitting in a room in Topeka, Kansas, at our Brunswick training cramp that, that, uh, that Rick had done out there. In the summer, I think it was 2006, 2007, one of those summers, and I sat in this room, and he brought out this scaled lane. And I looked at it, I sat there looking at it, and I'm, I'm going, no, that's too skinny. There's no way. And then out of that, I started, you know, everywhere I would go, I would just keep thinking about that lane, going, that's unbelievable to me. So really, the ball doesn't hook as much as you think it does, and I couldn't believe it. So a lot of the theories that I had up until that point were, were proved uh, incorrect. You know, it wasn't that they were wrong they just weren't completely right joining, if that can make some sense it does so, a, a great deal brad uh, joining us on the above 180.com podcast is brad angelo and brad want to expand on that a little bit because our podcast is really geared towards helping bowlers achieve their goals when it comes to bowling and we've we started it it's above 180 we're hoping to get bowlers past that above 180 threshold so when you get people that come to your camps what is probably their biggest misconception that they see when you do this with the lanes well, I don't think there's any misconception. You know, Joe, you saw me do it very briefly at the uh, uh, Sean Yonan fundraiser up there a couple weeks ago. I, I don't think there is any misconception at all. It's right there in front of you. And just like the way I felt when I saw the lane properly drawn, <laughs> what, what, what are you going to say? There it is. You know, there, there's not really much disputing what 60 feet is and you know, 39 boards, and seeing it there in front of you, that the ball really can't hook as much as people think that it does. Joe, would you agree with that? Well, yes. I mean, uh, the lane is 40 inches across and 60 feet long, and and that's where I think some of the misperception is by most bowlers that it's it's not to to that scale. And and I think the way you break it down showing the the segments of the lane and where we need to see ball motion occur uh, is so important because we need that proper visual, I think, to to gain a better understanding of ball motion. I mean, it's it's hard to explain on the air without visual aids to help us, but uh, it's just a unique feature that I think you offer. Uh, I mean... It can do nothing but help bowlers just get a truer perception of ball motion, in my opinion. Well, I'll tell you what. I think it can help everybody who's listening to this this podcast. Guys, if you're listening, draw a scaled lean. Take an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper. Uh, you know, make it ten inches. So therefore, each inch equals six feet. And then the width of the lane being three and a quarter feet, that would equal about uh, between a half an inch to five-eighths of an inch. Draw a line of that width and then look at the lane for what it is. And you start looking at it going, wait a minute, that's way too skinny. I've never seen it that way before. 
And guys, I hadn't either. So, yes, I, I think that they can look at it that way. But the problem is, is the way that I had always taught bowling, the way that I had always seen bowling taught, was the same thing that I had seen, you know, uh, up on a chalkboard. People draw two lines with arrows and then draw this big swooping curve, and the ball cannot do that on that lane. You know, that that's so true, Brad. And then if we break that lane scale down even further to where we set the ball down, where it crosses the arrows, and then where it enters the pocket, that's even more narrow yet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that... You know, a lot of people think, you know, okay, if you lay the ball down at, uh, you know, or let me put it this way, if you cross the arrows at 25 and your ball goes out to 5, you know, wow, he really hooks it. Well, yeah, the ball is changing directions a little bit more, but the shape is very, very similar to the shape that somebody else is doing if they're playing, you know, 10 uh, getting the ball out to up to four or five as well. It's, it's very very close over the sixty feet of the lane. Yes, it's a little it's a little different. I'll give people that. It may be a little steeper motion, but for the most part, it's really not that different. And the reason it's not that different is there's only eighteen inches between the gutter and the pocket. Brad, want to touch on something that has kind of gathered a little bit of attention this week on the PBA.com website. They posted a YouTube clip of your match that's coming on, going to be airing this Sunday against Jason Belmonte. And so we thought we'd have you just, in your words, explain what's happening because it's very hard to, to put the audio, and we do have the clip on Above180.com, the video clip, so people can see exactly what we're talking about. But just, Brad, just go through and explain what happened to people listening right now. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know how much really we, we really need to get into this. I mean, I've known Jason for quite a while, and he's always been very, very respectful and, you know, appreciative of the other bowlers. Uh, but basically what happened was, um, you know, the, the plastic bottle, the little water bottle, I guess Jason, when I was up on the approach, Jason had squeezed it and kind of crinkled it a little bit. And no big deal. I heard it because he was sitting right behind me. And so I put the ball down. And then when I got back up on the approach... You know, I was ready to make the shot, and then right, right when I got to the top of my backswing, I heard the big crinkle again. And and you know, I, I'm whatever. If I would have struck, would it have mattered? Yeah, I still would have said something. So it wasn't because I didn't strike that I turned around and said something. And you know, Jason, you know, was was oblivious to what had happened. Geez, I didn't mean anything by it, and so I didn't think anything of it. So we we left it there. Uh, after the match, you know, before I left to drive home, Jason and I had talked for a few minutes, and, you know, it, it was all good. Well, over this last week, I've gotten a few phone calls about that, and a lot of people uh, kind of saw what I felt, and and so I went on yesterday to see the clip, and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know what to say about it. I don't want to throw Jason under the bus or anything like that, but... It was a little peculiar that he had picked up the water bottle when I stepped back up on the approach, and then he was very quiet, and then right, you know, during the silence of me walking to the, uh, the follow line, that he had, uh, I guess, squeezed it loud enough for me to hear it again. I mean, even when I'm explaining it, it, it sounds a little goofy and it sounds a little petty, but, you know, when, when you're bowling on TV and, and the, uh, the every 
person in the crowd is, is silent, sometimes you can barely even hear, you know, Rob Stone or Randy Peterson, who are way down the other end of the lane. Sometimes you can kind of pick up them, and they're just talking normal, just like you and I are now. So it's pretty quiet, and, and to have that happen at that point in the match, it was just frustrating at, at that time when it happened. That, I, I guess that's really all I can say about it. This has happened already on TV in the past where a, an incident comes to mind with Randy Peterson where it was a crowd member who made some noise. So it just, I think Jason kind of, or, I'm sorry, Brad, it kind of defends what you're saying where it's so quiet in there that any sort of movement will distract you where a normal league bowler, it might not be as big of a deal, but because it's so quiet when something does happen, something does move or make a, a bottle noise, you do catch it and it does make you, like you said, you stepped off. And to happen when it did, like you said, it was, it was a little curious. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. I know it was just something interesting to, to take a look at, and, and we're hoping to get Jason on to explain his side of this as well. Well, and, yeah, let, let me say that to defend Jason even before he comes on the air, that, that Jason has, has always been um, extremely nice and extremely respectful. Um, so I, I, I guess I still have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, it, it happened, and... You know, sometimes you don't cry over spilled milk, but uh, you know, deep down, I, I wish it didn't didn't happen at all. You know, then we wouldn't have to have this conversation. But uh, Jason and I are friends, and and I'll be rooting for him. Um, you know, through the rest of his career. So I, I I understand. I mean, things happen. You know, sometimes when we're bowling in our qualifying, you know, and you you know, I, I might have a string going, and and you got the front seven or the front eight. And, and you trip that four pin and you kind of slap it out like, yeah, you got a break. Well, you didn't know that a guy four lanes down, he, he was trying to, to fight for 2-0 in the 10th, and you caught him, you know, and, and he threw a bad shot. I mean, it, but, but that little stuff, that happens, and it, I, I've been on the other end of that as well. So, you know, I guess I, the best way to handle it is we'll just leave it at that, and, and Jason is Jason, and he and I are going to be friends from here on out, I'm sure. Right, and you know, I got a follow-up question there, Brad. Do you think the initial distraction, you know, be it advertent or not, took you out of your frame of mind or, or focus that you obviously need to have when you're on TV competing? Oh, you mean the first one? The first one. Um. Uh. You know, I, certainly it it interrupted the flow, but my job as a as a professional is to get back into that mental cycle, you know, which is another thing that I talk about in the camps that I've also learned from Rick Benoit. Um, staying in the flow of your mental cycle, um, you know, commitment, execution, uh, evaluation, and uh, preparation, all of that, staying in that cycle, that's why I put the ball down, took a deep breath, and got back in that cycle, you know. So that's my job to be able to do that. Distractions happen. And if I'm going to blame every bad shot on some other distraction, you know, shame on me. Hey, Brad, I have a question about uh, your relationship with Brunswick. Uh, you've been with them for a number of years. Uh, you can expound on how many years and, and how they picked you up as a member. It's an interesting story from what I've heard. And uh, if you feel Brunswick equipment matches up properly for today's conditions for you and others. Sure. I, I can tell you that in 2002, um, up until that point, I had bowled for a living until thir uh, for 13 years. And, you know, out in the Megabucks, uh, you know, the High Roller and the Eliminator and those events. 
and I had a chance to go out on a PBA tour, um, you know, and I started looking around and, and talking to some of the companies. Well, I decided to sign with Brunswick. Uh, the only reason I decided to Brunswick was because Rick Benoit was, uh, was the tour rep, and I wanted to be make sure that he was obligated to work with me. So I signed that first contract for free because I knew that Rick would shorten that learning curve. And even though I may not be getting the, the immediate gratification of a contract for money, that I knew in the long run it was going to make a huge difference in my career. And, you know, it has. Um, so, you know, the, the relationship with Rick has been one that he's became one of my best friends. And, uh, and it's really, really a good relationship. And, and what about their equipment line, Brad? What, what can you talk about uh, since their move down south? Uh, first year or two might have been a little growing pains in that respect, but uh, I personally feel their, their latest uh, releases have been very, very good. You know, it's interesting because I still hear a lot about the Brunswick move to Mexico, and I understand where people are at regarding their move, and you know, the, the perception is is that they moved all those jobs. They took jobs away from people here in the United States. But I got to tell you, by making that move, they ended up saving jobs here in the United States because they were on the verge of going out of the ball business. So because of that move, they were able to keep their headquarters in Muskegon, Michigan. They probably saved a couple of hundred jobs. And with a number of the people that they had to let go, they really did right by them. You know, they, they offered them... Uh, severance, uh, and they also offered an option to be able to help train them or make a transitional move within the company. So, you know, I understand the people's perception of, of them moving, and yes, there was some growing pains with the equipment, but all in all, you know, I think it was a move that had to be done. Regarding the line of equipment that we have now, uh, I can honestly say that, you know, and this isn't marketing. I, I'm not one to really blow smoke or sugarcoat things. Um, but the line of equipment that, that Brunswick now has is the most versatile line of equipment that they have had since I've been on their staff, uh, including when they were the, when they were the ball to have when they had the internal line. Um, you know, I, I, I believe that, that uh, you know, there's other companies that have ball motion that, that certainly fits in well on certain patterns and certain types of, of patterns as well, but as far as I'm concerned, and I think, I think it's a pretty general um, agreement across the board with a lot of the guys that on a fresh pattern, assuming we're bowling on a flat pattern, on a fresh flat pattern, that the Brunswick equipment matches up the best of any of them. And, you know, a lot of people say that Brunswick balls roll early. No, it, it's not that they roll early as much as it is that they, they really create a smooth motion, which, you know, once I show in the camp the whole 60 feet of the lane and the importance of having a, a smooth ball motion, that, that people can start to understand why Brunswick um, has a purpose and, and should be in their bag. Um, you know, but then at, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people... <laughs> they end up gravitating towards other equipment because maybe an image thing or because, you know, they like to see the ball hook more or make that quick motion. 
and certainly that has a place. But without a doubt, when you're playing shallow angles, when, when you're not playing that big, steep angle through the front, when you're playing shallow angles from wherever it is, Brunswick equipment is the best in the industry, without a doubt. And Brad, why don't you talk about a little bit about the C-Systems line and brand, because that seems to be really the balls that people, at least on the amateur level and even on the pro level, seem to be really scoring well with, and they really seem to be one of Brunswick's more successful line of, of equipment, like Joey was saying, over the last couple of years. Well, that was a technology that was uh, developed by Carmen Salvino, and he worked closely with R&D at Brunswick, um, and they, they came out with that original C-System 2.5, and as soon as we threw it down the lane, uh, the pro staff, we all looked at each other saying, wow, this is something different. And I think that's the key in developing an arsenal of bowling balls is to make sure you have enough difference from one ball to the next. And I think that was the big knock on the Brunswick equipment, um, you know, starting three, four years ago, that, yeah, one ball looked great, but they all looked similar. And that, that C-System 2.5, that was different than anything else that we had had. And so then they added a, a stronger version, a ball that created more friction in the C-System 3.5, um, which was a great addition. When we, were, when we were bowling on tour, when we bowled on higher volumes of oil, that ball really came in play. And then they decided to go the other direction with the 4.5, which I, I think was intended to be more of a snap type of motion and um, you know even though you can create that motion with that ball I think that ball is better used as more of that smoother motion that we had just talked about a few minutes ago and now they've came out with probably the best of the C-System balls the C-System Alpha uh, Alpha Max and that has been a great addition to our pro staff uh, again because it's different enough and gives us another uh, shape on the lane. Um, Sean Rash had a huge amount of success with that ball this year. Ronnie Russell, they used, they were using that ball like every week. Um, I enjoyed using that ball, but for me, because of the slower speed, uh, at times that ball created just a little too much friction. That doesn't make it a bad ball, but it makes it very usable in, in the right environment. Again, joining us on the Above180.com podcast is Brad Angelo. Brad, want to kind of wrap things up here with a question regarding uh, our website and our podcast that when me and Joey put our heads together and came up with this idea was to help bowlers get above that 180. We figured out that bowlers, your, your typical bowler, could get to about 180 by trying a little bit, getting maybe a new piece. Uh, and, and just going out and bowling, but from getting from 180 to 200 was really that roadblock, that barrier for most bowlers, and they would give up and they would quit. So what is one thing you could probably talk talk to that bowler who's in that state right now, they're trying to improve their average maybe from 180 up to 200, or, or even that bowler to 200 to 220, because there's a huge step there, but what's one thing that most bowlers need to work on and, and really don't? It's very, very simple. Uh, I was just talking with a gentleman last night over at the bowling center here about this. Um, he just turned 50. He wants to go out and bowl on the senior tour. And he's already had a very successful uh, career around here in Buffalo. But he said to me, what, what could you help me with? You know, I have a little problems with my timing from now and then. And uh, what, what could you work with me on? And I said, it, it, it's, it's a very simple uh, concept, but it's going to take you a little while. And... The concept is 
that people really need to understand what proper ball motion is. Um, a lot of people, whether they realize it or not, when they are striking, when they're when they got that five, six, seven, eight in a row, they they have proper ball motion. And when they have the ball going down the lane, making the right shape, their physical game can fall into place. But when that ball is not doing the right thing on the lane, a lot of people try to change their physical game to match up to what they think they need to do on the lane, and and they end up getting themselves in a lot of trouble. So, you know, you take somebody that's averages 180, at least, you know, you, you know that at least they know where the ball's going for the most part. And then as they have a higher average, you know that more and more, you know, they can start getting some strikes and getting a string of strikes. But the big thing that I find that people show a dramatic improvement is once they start understanding what proper ball motion is and they stop becoming physically oriented and start becoming more ball motion oriented or reaction oriented. And that, you know, that's why I really focus a lot on that in the camps that I do. And I think that's really made the difference in the quality um, of the player that comes out of the camp because now I'm, I'm teaching something that, uh, that I learned from Rick, so I give him all the credit. And, you know, we're, we're talking about running a camp up there in Wisconsin, and if we get enough, uh, enough of a response, then I plan on having Rick come up there with me. Um, you know, Joe, I don't know how you feel about that, if that would be something that uh, you could help promote so that we can make that a real successful camp up there or not. Well, we're definitely going to try and make it happen, and having Rick up here is just an added bonus, I feel. So, so we'll get it done there, Brad. Don't worry about that. Well, that would be great. I can tell you that still to this day, I can sit in a room and I can listen to Rick Benoit's speech um, without getting distracted or w- without getting bored at all. It, the, the things that come out of his, out of his uh, mouth and, and the way that he articulates is it, so easy to understand. It really makes my mind start thinking. And all of it's just from a logical point of view. And it makes so much sense that I haven't found anybody yet that can really dispute it. Well, you know, the game is simple. I mean, in simple terms, and maybe sometimes we overcomplicate things unnecessarily. Well, this is a direct Rick Benoit quote. Proper ball motion never changes. How we accomplish proper ball motion is changing all the time. Yeah. And when I think about that, he's not only is he exactly right, but the more I think about that, the more that that it makes me feel like uh, that that I'm right in adapting my camps to start teaching what proper ball motion is, so that people can focus on that more. That way, they're not they when they don't have ball motion, when the ball's not doing the right thing they can eliminate that confusion that keeps them from getting that football motion much more quickly. Right. That sounds like a great plan, and uh, we'll be looking forward to having you up in the Milwaukee area in the near future, and uh, you do these clinics all over the nation, correct, Brad? Yeah, depending on what my schedule allows. Um, you know, I still, I still think being a husband and being a dad is my top priority, so... Sometimes there's baseball games or hockey games that conflict, um, but 
I, I run somewhere between 10 and 15 camps throughout the country. Uh, there's no set schedule. Usually what happens is that there's a contact person in a particular area that ends up um, organizing and, and helping to, uh, uh, to host the camp, and then we work closely together, and then I just go up there and I run the camp. Well, Brad, it was a pleasure having you join us on the Above180.com podcast. We are going to let you get back to your family. Like you said, you have a wife and kids, so we will let you go, Brad. Uh, again, thank you, and best of luck as you continue on the tour. And uh, like Joey said, we hope to be talking to you again. Guys, I love what you're doing. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on, and uh, I look forward to doing it again. Thanks, Brad. You're a class guy, and uh, nothing but the best uh, in your future. Thanks a lot, Joe. I appreciate it. Good luck and good bowling.